Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 AM ESPN Radio, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff will be back with us next week. So this week I brought in studio the only person who I blow up by text message talking about sports more than Jeff, my good friend Michael Muller. Mike, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. It's you know, 80 degrees, and we got baseball, we got basketball playoffs, hockey, you know, ready to roll. It's a great it's time of year. Finally baseball weather. Yeah, absolutely, even though Minnesota sounds like they're going to have a whole weekend snowed out. And there were a few baseball games snowed out earlier this week as well, right? The Mets and the Yankees, did they get yeah, the I, Mets? Yeah, the early start to the season, uh, we got a, we have a lot more games that have been postponed than uh, we're used to having. That's a topic on itself. When should the league start? Well, we'll get into that in another week. Um, we're not going to talk about Michael's sports fandom on this show because... Um, I don't want to give him the credit for talking about the teams that he likes. So we're just going to use his sports knowledge a little bit for today's show, right? I can't talk about the 10-1 Mets? No, you can't because nobody in Philadelphia really cares. Now, <laughs> so, and we'll get to that because the Mets are playing good ball. And, and so it, it led me into, with the Mets playing good ball, where the Phillies in the first couple games, were they coming up a good team against a good team that forced some of the the things that happen. Let's talk before we um, we have Mike O'Connor on, who will be joining us from The Athletic shortly, to talk a little bit about the Sixers. Um, I, when I asked you to come on, you had told me um, you wanted to talk about Gabe Kapler because you had followed him since he was a player. You always found him interesting. He had an interesting first week here in Philadelphia. The last couple weeks been a little bit better. You know, you'll see what the reactions are to fans, but what was your thought about the Phillies with Gabe Kapler having seen him through his career a lot? Yeah, it's interesting. He was a smart, you know, just, you know, complete baseball player, very, you know, intellectual player, you know, a lot of levels, a cerebral uh, manager you'd expect. You know, he's got the potential to be a Joe Madden type manager. It's but. really exciting, you know, what you're about to go through here in Philadelphia. But you've got to be patient because yeah, we're Philadelphia fans. We're not good at patience. It is a very, very small sample size so far of, you know, as he's been, you know, playing a little bit of the you know mad scientist and experimenting. Some things haven't gone as well. Uh, warming up a pitcher uh, before he actually uh, has to hit the mound. That was what got probably it preferable. I could have forgiven a bunch of the other stuff. That was what. And, and I, I said to Jeff when we came in and did the show after that. I didn't want to overreact because of the small sample size. And so now that the team is six and five, they play Tampa Bay this weekend. Some of the players have played a little bit better. Um, I, I'm not sure what people think right now about the manager in terms yeah. of where things stand. And there's a couple of there's a couple of areas you have to look at that are really good things to give him credit for right now. Um, number one, uh, it's you're taking pitches. And so one of the big advantages are the Phillies are fifth in the league in drawing walks. So getting on base, very helpful. The other question. They take an average of like 4.33 pitches per at bat, I saw, which is the highest in Major League Baseball. So, you know, they're they're wearing down pitchers. They're getting into bullpens. That's what you want to see from, from a lineup. Yeah, completely. And I'll say another area that you have to give them a lot of credit. Usually early in the season, you wind up with a new manager. The question is. Are you getting at-bats uh, for some of those young players you want to see? Kingery's getting at-bats. He's all over the diamond, and that's a great thing to see that he's been able to figure that out early on. Do you understand baseball traditionalists who question whether that's a great thing that he's all over the diamond? The, there's a, a segment of the population in sports that says you should have your position, and you know where you're going to play and when you're going to play in this moving around in the lineup and moving around on the field. I mean, Kingery has played, I think, four or five 
positions already this season. Now he's played well pretty much in all of them. He this past week he hit his home first home run, hit his first grand slam home run, and then had his first walk off RBI the other night in extras. So clearly it's not hurting him at this point in the majors. But what do you say to people who don't like the idea of the moves? constantly and you know that traditionalist approach you know it may be true when he's a 26 27 year old player and needs to be settled in and there's a bit of a routine but right now it's about getting him at bats you know getting him to being a real major league player and so i actually think gabe kapler has done a great job with that and look he's obviously learned uh to not be as regimented on his pitch counts and his quick hooks because that's ultimately another area that uh, it was a little uh you know unsettling early on for philly fans you saw um, you saw this week Pavetta went over 100 pitches. Nola went over 100 pitches. P- Pavetta has pitched very well. Yeah, he's off to a great Going start. back to last season, I, I saw a stat. He, in the last six starts going back to September of 2017, he's 4-0 with a 1.87 ERA. And, and Jeff had tweeted about um, the, the different moves that Ruben Amaro had made along the way, including getting Pavetta that at the time didn't get much recognition. But now you look back and it's like, okay, you know, the, some of these moves really set them up. What Jeff's tweet was, Ruben Amaro Jr. may have waited too long to pull the trigger on a rebuild, but when he did, he made some very good moves. Pavetta for Papelbon, Alfaro, uh, Eikhoff, Williams, for and Thompson for Hamels, Lively for Bird, and Eflin for Rollins. I mean, you look back, those are good. Eflin got a win in the minors moves. the other night. Um, you know, Thompson seems to be, they're trying to develop a role for him in the bullpen. Uh, Nick Williams had a, a home run after making a comment that I guess the computers didn't want me starting that uh, he seemed to regret uh, for that. But, uh, you know, it's it's an interesting and fun time to be a Phillies fan, but it's also a pretty fun time to be a Sixers fan. Um, have you been watching some of the games? I have been. This is definitely the best young team in, in the NBA. There's no doubt about it. Well, and we have from The Athletic, we have Mike O'Connor on to join us and talk about uh, what Mike says is the best young team in the league. Mike O'Connor, what say you? I would agree. I mean, it you know, it obviously depends on the threshold we're putting on, on youth here. But, I mean, if, if you're just looking at young cores in the league, I, I can't see anybody you would take over the Sixers. How much fun are you having covering this team right now? I mean, I I sit and watch it, and I'm in awe. Um, 16 wins in a row now going into the playoffs, uh, playing at a level that I don't think anybody could really have expected. I, I saw a stat three days after Christmas, they were 15 and 19. They're 37 and 11 since. That's pretty impressive. They've lost one game at home in 2018. Have you it, seen it, yeah, like it's this? super <laughs> impressive, and and you know what? They're they're a blast to cover. They really are. I mean, everything from you know the way that they play and just they play such a fun brand of basketball that's so easy to break down. And on top of that, you just have so many great personalities, and they all coexist so well. You know, you can really tell just they genuinely like each other and enjoy playing with each other. Not just from a personal standpoint, but that's what shows out there on the court. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's a huge reason that they've been able to have that, that success at the end of the year here. Um, and, yeah, they're just a blast to cover. And that unselfishness as a team, I mean, they, I think it was Ruben Frank who had tweeted out that they're the first NBA team with 3,800 rebounds and 2,200 assists since the 86 Celtics. 2,200 assists for this team, that's, 
You know, sometimes they defer a little bit too much for my liking, but they're getting some amazing open shots in this 16-game streak. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it boils down to two things. I think it boils down to the culture that they've kind of instilled. Um, you know, Brett Brown has really, really focused, even when they were even when they were terrible, even during the tanking years, he really tried to instill a culture of the pass is king, we're going to share the ball, we're going to get the open shot, we're going to get the great shot, not the good shot. Um, and I think that's really continued now that they're actually a good team. Um, and the second, you know, huge ingredient there is Ben Simmons. I mean, he's, he's the leader, he's the center of the attack there, um, whether it's in transition or, or in the half court. You know, they all feed off of him, and, and he's the one who's, who's doing most of the distributing and, and kind of setting the tone in that area. Tomorrow night, for the first time in what will be 2,149 days, there will be a basketball playoff game in Philadelphia um, for this, <laughs> this team. Uh, how did we get here? I remember the start of the season, people were, you know, 40 wins, let's the 7 or 8 seed. Uh, here we are. We're going to open up tomorrow night against Miami. We'll talk about the matchup in a second as the three seed who a lot of people are, are picking to make some noise. How, how did this happen? <laughs> Well, I think that, you know, if you just look over the course of this year, I mean, when they, like you said, you know, around Christmas, there were four games under 500. I think you've seen a couple things happen. First off, I think all of the young players on the team have gotten better. I mean, Dario Saric has shot, I believe, 41 or 42% from three since that time, and he was at about 33% before that. Um, he's been a huge reason this team, you know, got on that hot streak in January and has continued all through now. Um, and then the second thing is, is Ben Simmons. He, he's just taken his game to an entirely new level. I mean, every week it's like a, a new skill that he downloads in the open floor, just recognizing, you know, when transition defenses are a step behind and being able to exploit that. Um, and even Joel Embiid and, and you know, this, the whole unit has really started to coexist and just click and improve like young players do. Um, and the second thing, you, you obviously have to give credit to the midseason positions. I mean, Marco Bellinelli and Ersan Ilyasova have been huge, you know, just, just in, in terms of upgrading that bench. It's amazing to see how much better they are, not just in terms of skill, but in terms of fit over guys like Jared Bayless or Trevor Booker when he was here. They, they've been a huge addition to that bench. Um, so, yeah, I just think that, you know, the way this team has improved with the young guys, and then on top of that, you just add some bench depth. Um, and it all just really clicked. I, I think that's what, what brought us to this point. And as we're heading into the playoffs now, uh, the big question uh, that uh, you know goes through my mind and probably every basketball fan's mind with Joel Abib coming uh, coming back. I mean, how how soon should we expect him back on the floor? And you know, does that present any real challenges in terms of the rotation? Uh, because this team is uh, playing uh, you know absolutely out of uh, you know out of their mind at this point on on this great run. Yeah, um, in terms of his return date, um, the, the team has not been willing to share any kind of timetable. Um, they did announce today that he's out for game one, certainly. Um, I don't know. It, it's hard. You know, the, the time frame they gave initially was two to four weeks, um, and he had surgery two weeks ago today. I, I you know, knowing Joel, I, I just I would be surprised to see him miss more than two games, but I really have no idea. I mean, you know, they, the team has been insistent that they're not going to play him if he's not ready medically. Um, so it's really hard to tell. But, you know, just seeing what Joel has done this entire year in terms of kind of putting his foot down and saying, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to 
play in this game or I'm I'm deciding to play in this back-to-back, I would be a little bit surprised to see him miss more than the first two games. Um, and in terms of reintegrating him, I don't think it's a huge challenge. I mean, I think it's an adjustment for sure. They definitely play differently when Joel is out there. Uh, it's more of just, you know, kind of re-tinkering with the half-court offense. I mean, obviously, Joel, as Brett Brown likes to say, Joel is king in terms of the playbook and in terms of touches. He's the guy who they flow everything through in their half-court offense. So I think when he comes back, they just kind of slow the pace down a little bit and uh, and work everything through him as opposed to through Simmons and Redick and, and Charge. What are your, well, on the on Embiid, how soon until masks are being sold as a souvenir item at, down, <laughs> down at the arena there? Uh, I did see Lane Johnson offered that he could wear a dog mask, but... He's got this like Phantom of the Opera looking thing on going on. He's like the Phantom of the Process right now. And I, I can't wait to see what he puts out on Instagram once he's wearing it in games. It's probably going to be pretty entertaining at that. Yeah, I, and you know what? I hope I hope they clear him to use that black mask. The NBA usually doesn't let players uh, wear the black one, but he, he just looks hysterical in that thing. And he, <laughs> he's embraced it, so I, he, I hope he's cleared to do that. That's the best part is he knows how hysterical he looks, and he's just kind of embracing it. So like his personality comes out and he's got this just dark mask there just like looking at you all scary. So let's let's break down the matchup. Obviously when Embiid, Embiid wants to get back in there to go against Whiteside, they they have their own history together. How do you think the Sixers match up against Miami in this series? I think I think Miami matches up relatively well with the Sixers. I mean just in terms of at least on their end defensively. They have two guys, James Johnson and Justice Winslow, who are really, you know, more equipped than most to handle Ben Simmons. I'll put it that way. Um, and then also they have Josh Richardson, who, for my money, is one of the best perimeter defenders in the entire NBA. Um, and he's done a great job this year containing J.J. Redick uh, in, in their matchups. So defensively, I think that they have the personnel to keep up with the Sixers as much as anyone. But I just think the Sixers are a better team overall. I mean, even – you know, when I when I mentioned those guys like Johnson and, and Winslow and those guys that match up with Simmons, even if you can kind of neutralize them, I think the Sixers have the advantage in terms of role players. I mean, the series could come down to, you know, how Dario Saric and Robert Covington and even guys like Marco Bellinelli play. Um, and I just think the Sixers have a slight advantage there, even without Embiid. Um, and then when you look at the prospect of getting Embiid back in game three or four or five, I think that really tilts things in the Sixers' favor. So, you know, I, I, that's that's kind of my two cents on that. Miami matches up relatively well, but the Sixers are just a better team. Have you volunteered to ring the bell tomorrow night? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hey, rocking. If they ever invite me, I, I would love to. It's going to be rocking down there. It's going to be a fun atmosphere. you got a primetime game at 8 p.m., um, you know, all eyes on this team, and that seems to be what they want and, and what they've looked for all season. Uh, I When we were texting yesterday a little bit, I asked you about Markel Fultz. Uh, how surprised are you by the progress and impact that he has been able to make in a short time? Um, very. I mean, I, I, I'll say I'm surprised, but I, I really didn't know what to expect. I didn't have any expectations for his return. I, I just had no idea. I mean, the one thing... You know, we we obviously can't say his shot is anywhere near, you know, where it was last year or where we expect it to be in his future. Um, but I think that what we've seen is that he's made a positive impact regardless. Um, he's really embraced, and this is a really positive sign to me, he's embraced doing a lot of role player type things, 
whether it's fighting for loose balls or just, you know, really looking to set up his teammates, hustling on defense. His defense has been excellent. And, and that was not something that was highlighted for him coming out of college. He's had some blocks um, where he just comes out of nowhere and swats it away. Yeah, he's long, man. <laughs> he's really long, and, and he can he can really get up. Um, yeah. I have no but, idea where he know, comes like from. Said, All of a sudden, he's in the screen just swatting a shot away. I'm like, whoa, where did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he can do that, uh, the LeBron chase down block every once in a while, too. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. I, I've been impressed by his aggressiveness, sort of taking it into the lane, which kind of spaces the floor differently than than Ben Simmons. And when they collapse on him because he's taking it aggressively, you know, obviously his moves aren't refined yet, so sometimes it looks a little sloppy. But he's been able to find open people and make some passes that, that just have you doing a double take. You know, you watch Ben Simmons with some of the passes he makes, and then, and then you watch Fultz with some of the passes. It's like, whoa, where, where did that come from? Right, right. Yeah, Markel is he's very crafty and and he that that's just kind of the nature of his game. He's got that herky-jerky athleticism. Um and where you know, Ben when he parades down the lane, it's almost just like it's just like fire and fury, just like raw power and physical just in, like imposing himself. Whereas Markel is really crafty and stop and go and and just find like a small opening to make a pass. Um so you're right. They they do they do the, the same thing kind of two different ways. How much do you think he's going to be a part of the rotation in the playoffs? Obviously, you know, your bench will shrink a little bit. Uh, the depth of the Sixers, you mentioned a little bit, is something that we really haven't seen with this team in a long time. I was I was talking to somebody earlier. If you look back even at the Iverson teams, you know, they weren't deep per se. I mean, it was their starting squad that did it. This team gets points from all over the place. How do you think Fultz is going to fit into the rotation? And what do you think it's going to be in the playoffs, both before MB comes back and then once he does? Right. You know, it's interesting. Um, Brett Brown spoke yesterday uh, to some of some of us uh, reporters and uh, he mentioned, you know, in, in the past in, in San Antonio, um, kind of some of the, the ways that they have operated is they've shortened the rotation come playoff time. But he said he doesn't want to do that here because he, he's confident in, you know, guys like Markel and even if you need him, Justin Anderson to come in off the bench and provide a spark. So I think it's likely rotation wise that you might see an eight or nine man rotation, you know, maybe even 10 every, you know, occasionally um, they're going to go pretty deep because they, like you said, they have legitimate depth for the first time in a long time, especially now that they have Markel back. Um, well, the coach has and, been able know, to get Brett, confidence in some of those players with some of the injuries. I mean, given you know, sure. you had Sarich out, you, you've had Reddick have to sit, you, you've had him beat out, which lets him look at Amir Johnson and makes him look at Holmes a little more who doesn't sniff the court enough in my opinion. Um, I, I'm just going to keep banging the drum for Rashawn Holmes because I feel like he does something <laughs> flashy every time he comes in the game. But <laughs> He's been great. That, that's just, He's been great that's over the last thing. two or three weeks. Jeff laughs at me. He feels like I always pick a player and like just want to see more of that player. With the Phillies, it was Reese Hoskins where I was just texting him every time he would home, hit a home run. So now every time Rashawn <laughs> Holmes makes a play in the game, I send him a little message. I'm like, you see that? You see that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, what do you think of the Sixers draw and, and the Eastern Conference in general? If they're if they're good enough to get past Miami, they could potentially get to a conference final without having to play the Cavs or Toronto. That that was pretty good for me to see. Yeah, it's wide open, man. The East is wide open. Um if they if they get past Miami, they'll have the winner of Boston and Milwaukee, who they just blew the doors off of Milwaukee at like, home. Like fifty um, points they were up. That was insane. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Um, the the Bucks are are kind of a mess, and I I wonder 
I wonder if they'll get past the Celtics. They absolutely have the talent to with all the injuries the Celtics have. Um, but if they do, I like the Sixers' chances to beat the Bucks in a series. They're just the, the interim head coach, you know, situation is just. I don't know many teams that succeed with that. If you're not the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, and you have LeBron James essentially as your head coach, a mid-season firing of your head coach doesn't generally get you deep into the playoffs. Um, so yeah, I, I like their chances to get to the Eastern Conference Finals should they win this series. Um, but once you get there and you have LeBron James waiting for you, that's a, that's a whole different battle. So you don't buy into the, the Cavs aren't a team talk and uh, everything that Toronto is going to beat them and go to the finals? Because I happen to think LeBron's going to get really angry and just dunk on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I just can never bet against LeBron James. I, I think that the Cavs all year, but really, I mean, we're really just talking about the second half of the year with that, that remake they did. We just haven't seen them at full strength, and I think that's a scary thought. That's a really scary thought. Even when they played the Sixers, they were missing George Hill. They were missing Rodney Hood in the second half, um, and, and they just – we haven't seen their whole team click yet, and we, and we know how incredible LeBron is. Um, it, it, it makes me nervous for the Sixers. I, I just have, I have trouble betting against LeBron James. That game here in Philly uh, two Friday nights ago with LeBron in town – where both Ben and LeBron put up triple doubles, uh, that was something special to watch. If you end up with a, a conference finals of, of LeBron coming to Philly, <laughs> that that would be entertaining basketball. It absolutely would. It absolutely would. See, I mean, Ben and, and LeBron going head-to-head in that game was absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I saw a stat from Elias that it was the second game featuring opposing triple doubles the, between number one overall picks. The only other time it happened was in 1983 with – Magic Johnson and Michael Thompson. I mean, you start to see Ben Simmons' name mentioned and and uh, in with player. You know, you see him with Oscar Robert, Robertson in terms of the assists. And what do you think is that unfair expectations for him, uh, or or do you think that he's he's really blazing a trail that people haven't seen before? I, I don't think it's unfair. I think it's completely fair. I, ben deserves to be in that conversation. Um, even just even just in the numbers. If you look at the, the, you know, I think he's right around 16 points a game and then like 8.2 rebounds and 8 assists. Just those numbers, not not as rookies or, or, or like just under a certain age. The, the short list of players who have averaged that in NBA history is something like LeBron, Bird, uh, Magic, Harden, Westbrook, and like one or two more. I mean, that is an unbelievable list of names to be in in your rookie year, just the physical tools that he has are once in a generation, completely once in a generation. Um, the only guys in the NBA today who you look at and say, and, you know, play the same style and can match that are LeBron and Giannis. It's, it's those three. That's it. LeBron, or excuse me, Ben has every physical tool that you need to be a generational superstar. It's, it's going to be fun to watch. And I mean, well, unless you're uh, Williams from the Jazz, who doesn't believe that he's actually a rookie, <laughs> that that rookie <laughs> that of the year is the most stuff ridiculous. Thing. How ridiculous that, is that? Like, I'm gonna wear a sweatshirt that, that just, says you're not a rookie. <laughs> just that it's become a, a national debate is just—it's almost like embarrassing, honestly. I mean, the the whole extent of the conversation needs to be this: Does the NBA classify him as a rookie? Yes then he's a rookie. And is he the That's best it. rookie? Yes. End of story. Yeah. Thank you. 
That's well, all that needs to be said. We really appreciate you coming on. I hope you have a blast down there tomorrow night, and we'd love for you to come back on as we go through the playoffs and keep us updated on what's going on. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Have a great one. You too. So, Mike, the NBA playoffs starts tomorrow night. Um, I, like I said, it's been 2,100 days in Philly since we've we've had a Sixers playoff game. Uh, so, you know, we're kind of starved for it a little bit here, waited a while. Uh, are does, Is the NBA playoffs excite you? I know you're a hockey guy. Like, you're a, you, you love the Stanley Cup. That's your thing. You're a football guy, too. Uh, do, do you get up for basketball for the playoffs? Yeah, I actually do. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, the the over the course of the season, I'll wind up, uh, you know, checking in and out. And I've always been more of a, of a March Madness guy. And then all of a sudden I'll dial back in. But, you know, it's watching this Sixers team. It's hard not to get excited about you know, what's going on here in Philadelphia and you know, looking you know, at this moving forward. It's like the message to like Philly sports fans aren't used to hearing this. But maybe after the Eagles, now you are. Get your expectations up. It, look, I'm going to get you all the Philadelphia gear to wear pretty soon so that you'll be all prepared for it. But it is true that, that the mentality is starting to change around these teams in terms of expecting something. You and I had joked about it. The draft's in two weeks, and it's barely been talked about in Philadelphia because with the Eagles winning in February, you roll right into the Flyers and Sixers making a playoff charge and the Phillies starting – and it's like, when is there time to talk about the draft? Where if you listen to the New York radio with the teams that you're following up there, all the talk is about the draft. That's all they have to talk about. Yeah, and it's like it's it's good not to be focused on the draft. That- I, got, I got no complaints. <laughs> none at all. This is the heart of sports on 610 AM. So when we come back, we'll talk a little more Flyers with the start of their playoffs. Oh, well, that was painful, Michael. We'll talk a little Phillies and uh in the I think last Gunsel's second scored again. <laughs> yeah, he might have. In the last thing, we're gonna talk a little sports betting. Stick with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Attention sports fans. The Heart of Sports is excited to be the media partner with the newly formed Athletic Business Alliance for their kickoff event being held on May 8th at Ron Jaworski's Ramblewood Country Club in Mount Laurel. Players from across all sports have been invited to connect with the Alliance's player-to-player network. If you'd like to get involved, sponsorship opportunities include program advertising and tickets. Visit abagamechangers.net or call 856-673-1911. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports on 610 AM. I'm Jason Springer here in studio with Michael Muller. Jeff uh, will be joining us again next week. If you want to join in the conversation, give us a call at 888-728-9941. All right, Michael, uh, you were in a meeting the other night, and you texted me, and you asked what happened to the Flyers. I believe at that point they were down 4 nothing. Uh, you're the hockey guy, okay? You you watch a lot of hockey, a lot more than I do. I know you're not necessarily a Flyers fan, but you're going to break this down for me. What happened? Because I couldn't even get home in front of a TV before the Flyers were down big. 
I rewatched that entire game. I'm which sorry. It was painful. I'm sorry. Very painful. I mean, there's a, a few things. Uh, look, bad offensive zone penalties against the best power play a team in the NHL. And frankly, this could have been worse. I mean, the Penguins were only one for four on the power play uh, in that game. I mean, it, we didn't see one of these, you know, three for four nights. You know, this could have been nine, ten, nothing if the if the Penguins had clicked on some of their opportunities on the power play. But only ten shots on goal from forwards in this game. And the Flyers had four opportunities on the power play and not going over just over four, but they did not register a shot on the four power plays and two of the power plays. They didn't even attempt a shot. It was a debacle on every level. That's not good. But in the NHL, it's the only one game, one game. So my concern going into the series, you know, the, the Flyers clinch on the last day. Drew scores the hat trick. Team feels great about themselves. They're going into the playoffs. Life is good. And yet we still have the same problem that we've had for all these years is our goaltending. And I have wondered, particularly with the Pittsburgh matchup, because of the way that they pass the puck, they do a lot of lateral passing. And with a lower core injury like Elliot had, moving back and forth with that that puck action, I just wasn't sure how it was going to look. It did not look good at all. It, it, it did not. And it, they weren't even going back and forth. They were just shooting. Um, and it looks like Elliot's going to start and goal again tonight. So we'll see how I, I don't think that they'll be blown out seven, nothing. And I, I had questions about them going into this series. For me, it was, I want to see them get experience as a young team. Um, but I've had goaltending questions all year and none of them were made to feel any better by what I saw on Wednesday night. No, you should you shouldn't feel any better. I think Elliot, it still is you know banged up you has to be uh, and i do think the lateral movement uh, is is a real issue and frankly in the series the you know i don't expect the flyers to get blown out tonight either um i think they will play a much better game this will be a bit circle and wagons type of night but they got to get bodies in front of the net they got to make this more difficult for uh, for murray and they they need he to- saw everything that came his way they and- didn't shoot it off to begin with but everything was clear path there was no obstruction of his his line of sight at all yeah, that was a, a huge difference. And look, it goes back to attack time. You know, got to control the puck. Got to be able to have movement. And against Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is one of those teams, if you get into transition hockey, they will kill you. They need to be able to really make this game one that's you know played in front of Pittsburgh's net a lot more often. And they got to use the neutral zone to make sure that they're not getting easy entries. They got to be chippy, too, without taking penalties. They didn't get under Pittsburgh's skin at all last, last game. And and when when Crosby's calm and doing his thing, you end up seeing him put up a hat trick against you because he's skating and feeling comfortable. You know, he can't feel comfortable against this team. And that's a great balancing act in this game, because you're right, because we're talking about not taking dumb penalties. And at the same rate, you need to get under the skin. And so you need to play with a little bit of an edge. And I think that starts with flooding bodies in front of the net. You want to make Murray uncomfortable. And you actually want Pittsburgh, uh, you, know, you know, pushing and shoving uh, at the whistle so that you, you could start to get under their skin a little bit. If you don't do that, you know, they're probably going to have a rough time again tonight. I know that you have stayed up late and watched like every minute of every hockey game because that's kind of the guy that you are. Um, I know that the Devils game didn't go the way you hoped last night. I wasn't slightly disappointed in the least about that. I just being honest. Uh, but Washington blows it. I mean, they were up. They they had it and lose a tough one to Columbus. Uh, anything surprise you so far in the playoffs? You know, the Other funny- than the seven nothing touchdown that Pittsburgh put up. Yeah, that was surprising. I will say this. Washington, I don't know what it is. It's, you know, I've been watching hockey since the uh, mid-80s, and 
this is Washington in, in the springtime. Every time, it just seems like this team's ready to underperform. And you know, I wanted the Flyers to play Washington. I thought they matched up better. Washington has not played well going through the season. Ovechkin's had nights where he just completely disappears. He's not even on the ice. It looks like. Yeah. Um, I don't know any unbiased fan watching Columbus last night that didn't think they were going to come back and, and and get that game to overtime. I mean, they've been they've been rally rallying in games late this season. On a lot of levels, like that 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 played the script. You know, I think one of the series to watch last night in uh, in Nashville was uh, a much more competitive game against Colorado than you know most experts would think because Nashville is uh, is a favorite to come out of the West. They're but- a fun fan base there. I, I enjoy the crowd uh, there. Vegas has has done surprisingly well in terms of their crowd buying in. Now it does help how well their team has played as an expansion team. But it, it's fun to see the NHL in some of these markets where you're not used to it really start to develop the following. It is a it is a great fan base, and they're playing a tough Colorado team. They've you know, Colorado you know, had some injuries down the stretch, but there's some real offensive weapons. And when you look at McKinnon and Radinen, that can really you know, light the lamp. So I enjoy Western Conference hockey better than Eastern Conference hockey. I feel like it's faster, more open, uh, more you know, higher scoring. I don't know what it is every year. I, I keep thinking there's going to be more of a balance, and I, I just find it more interesting. And, and honestly, my favorite series to watch right now, Minnesota and Winnipeg. Do you yeah. want to talk about two great fan bases? And, I mean, unfortunately, that's not a huge thing in the Philly market. Like, if you look at the ratings, Jeff hates when I bring up ratings, but outside of Philly sports, Philly fans aren't ones that put up huge ratings to watch other teams play other than your diehard fans. But that hockey in Winnipeg, Minnesota – I mean, Winnipeg stole game one, and you're off to the races there. Yeah, and Minnesota without Suter was a was a big loss, and they've been trying to you know you know really mix and match their de- defensive pairings right now. So that's a that, that's an interesting series, and I think it'll be a long series. That's a good one to watch. Let's go back to baseball a little bit, talk a little more Phillies. Um, and Jeff and I are going to be doing some stuff, uh, looking at the minor league teams, traveling around to, to Lakewood and Lehigh Valley, and seeing some of the players on on the the come up. But I mean. You've had Scott Kingery up here. Hoskins has played well. What has anything surprised you? You know, you you follow baseball as a baseball fan, but also through the eyes of fantasy sports. Jeff also hates when I talk fantasy sports on the radio, and I'm I'm not asking you for that reason. Right? Has anybody surprised you in terms of what they've done in terms of their performance with the Phillies this season? I will tell you, somebody who I loved coming into the season, which putting on the fantasy hat post hype sleeper, is Franco. And, you know, I think you're going to see uh, the year out of Franco that everyone has been waiting for. But now you're going to get it when no one's really expecting it. Well, and and he's definitely being pushed by Kingery because if he doesn't perform, that's a natural landing spot for him. And so as long as he performs, you see Kingery hopping around the lineup because third base isn't open because they want Franco in the game. Now, he's had a good start to the season, and, and we talked about this before the season. Uh, Santana, when they brought him in as a free agent, spent a lot of time with Franco. Um, Franco came down, came in, looked like in better shape, better mindset. Who knows what will end up happening because he's Franco and that, you know, he's continually, fr- he and Herrera have continually frustrated Phillies fans. Um, you know, the Herrera with some of his antics, but then the other night he robs a home run in extra innings where, where then Kingery can, can pick it up in extras. So, you know, I, I I'm not sure if Kapler knows how he wants to work the pieces yet on the chessboard. I definitely think he's got a lot of pieces to work with, though. 
Yeah, and I think it is where Philly fans have to get used to uh, thinking like Gabe Kapler. You know, sample size, analytics. It's about the numbers. They don't want to do that. And frankly, it's like that. You'll get more used to it as you start to move through it because this is the direction that the sport's been moving in the last 10 to 15 years. And it's not all about the numbers, but the truth of the matter is I think Gabe Kapler, with the patience, I think the Philly fan base is going to appreciate that they're going to have somebody really special uh, there guiding this club. You have to understand, though, that, that the Phillies as an organization resisted analytics almost as much as any other team in Major League Baseball. And so the transition to analytics for this team has been more delayed than other cities that have bought in because they started earlier. Analytics isn't a word that, you know, people think of Chip Kelly when you think of analytics. They don't think of it as a tool per se. And so I think it's going to take time for people to adjust to the fact that they're doing a shift where they basically have their third baseman out in the outfield. Um, that's not something that your traditional fan is, is used to. I know Jeff's not a huge fan of the shift because he he likes to see runs scored and the shift is inherently to stop runs being scored because you play the numbers and the likelihood is they're gonna put the ball there uh i, I just i'm not sure how patient the philly fan base will be the winning cures all clearly and at six and five people are saying something different than they were at the start of the season after tough losses and one and, and four but uh, i'm not sure i'm not sure how the fan base is going to react going through the summer and I think it's good. Look, the you know wins uh, cure everything. We all know that's the uh, everybody you know, loves the a winner. Advantage. But the the one challenge uh, that you have to look at the it's being realistic expectations. What are the expectations of this team? You know to be more competitive. To you know really push themselves to be competitive in games in August. That would make everyone feel a lot better about it. And I think Gabe Kaplan is going to get you that. Uh, but this is probably a team like everyone else, despite the the Mets being in first. I think we're probably all looking at the standings and saying, you expect the Nats to be there at the end. And so this is a— You don't expect I, the Mets to keep playing as well as they are. No, look, as a as a Mets fan, 10-1 start, thrilled. But I thought if this team played 500 ball and our arms stayed healthy this year— that would be success because you know we've got a lot of holes in our in our lineup. I wish we had some of the young players in our lineup that you guys have. It is, and that uh, that's what I'm excited about going around to some of the the minor league teams that the Phillies have. I keep reading and hearing about this amazing minor league system, and you're starting to see it come up to the majors. But there's a bunch of players that are still down on the farm that are supposed to be the reinforcements to these reinforcements that are coming. And you've got a team that really is on the verge of something special, potentially, in terms of the talent they're accumulating. And here's where the analytics is going to be so important, is when you're dealing with young players who are actually being taught good fundamentals, like taking pitches and really trying to work a count. Though, that will pay off for the long term, because you're going to have some uh, you know, ball players here that actually will be, in the old school phrase, real ball players. Did you happen to see the screw up by the Denver Post? I did. <laughs> uh, for our listeners, they they did their uh, season preview, and instead of putting Coors Field on there, they put Citizens Bank Park. How does that happen? <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. Uh, but you know, considering uh, you know, how uh, you know balls are flying out of there before the dates of the humidor, you know, yeah, <laughs> like I know it's confusing and everything, but uh, no, I enjoyed I enjoyed I mean, seeing that. They called you guys a bandbox early on at Citizens Bank Park, but it was no Coors Field. <laughs> well, it's funny. People were so concerned about you know would pitchers want to come and pitch at Citizens Bank Park at the start of the opening of this stadium. You know, is it going to be? just a launching pad and in the summer you definitely you know get a lot more launched out but 
pitchers have been able to to pitch to this ballpark it, it, when they come and they they get used to playing here. Yeah, and maybe I'm a cynic on it, but the bottom line is, you know, if you're if if you're an elite pitcher, you're going to be able to pitch anywhere. Well, w- what did you think of Arietta choosing to come here? Uh, I look. I thought it was great for uh, the Phillies what you're trying to develop because you got some young pitchers in the staff who are going to from a work ethic and just a, a process of how you're going about planning. You know, for you know your next outing, it will be being around Arietta is great. You know, I was surprised he wound up uh, coming here. It was a it was a I thought a great move. Uh, and those who think that Arietta, you know, you know, is the pitcher he was a few years ago. Of course, he got a little bit older, but he's going to log a lot of quality innings for you. In the second half of the season, it looked like he learned how to pitch with his new velocity. You know, he had it seemed like as a younger pitcher, he was more overpowering and had a few extra miles on his fastball. He had to kind of adjust to the weapons he had now. And if you look at his numbers, second half of the season last year versus first half, it seemed like he started to put those pieces together. And here's what I think is really going to be helpful uh, for the staff and also for him pitching in a ballpark like this. If you think about his career, you think about Baltimore, and we all you know, joked about the band box at Camden Yards is, and the humidity in the summer in Chicago, balls flying out of Wrigley. He's almost like the perfect you know veteran pitcher to be on this staff at this time. I will be very interested to watch how it is. We'll have to... Head down to a, a Mets-Phillies game at some point this summer and check it out. Brett, do you root for a baseball team? Brett, do you know what baseball is? Yeah, isn't that where they uh, throw a ball and someone hits it out the field? Do you have a team you root for? Phillies. Will, will you change next week? What's that? Will you change next week? No, I won't. <laughs> You're going to stick with them this summer? Yeah, I'll stick with them this summer. All right, stick with us. When we come back, did you know that you could potentially be able to gamble on sports next year, depending on what a court might say? We'll talk about it. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Attention sports fans, the heart of sports is excited to be the media partner with the newly formed Athletic Business Alliance for their kickoff event being held on May 8th at Ron Jaworski's Ramblewood Country Club in Mount Laurel. Players from across all sports have been invited to connect with the Alliance's player-to-player network. If you'd like to get involved, sponsorship opportunities include program advertising and tickets. Visit abagamechangers.net or call 856-673-1911. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and normally Jeff Cohen, who will be back with us next week. Have no fear. I'm trying to hold down the fort, and I've got Mike Muller here in studio. And you're a good person for me to talk about my next topic with because in your in your day job, you deal a lot with politics and government. You're familiar with New Jersey government. Um, in my previous life, I was familiar with betting on sports. Um, it wasn't quite legal. I did it. Um, my parents weren't happy about it then. I'm sure they're less excited about it than I'm talking about on the radio now. However, we should acknowledge that there is a certain segment of the population that watches sports purely for the fact that they can make a couple bucks off of it. They're not entertained by the sports at all. 
In New Jersey, they have led the way to try to legalize sports betting. So I wanted you to give a little recap of where we are right now and what could happen in the next few months as we wait for the Supreme Court to rule. Yeah, so several years ago, back in 2011, uh, voters in New Jersey had the opportunity to vote on a ballot question if they uh, would allow for sports betting at uh, tracks and casinos across the state. And 64% of uh, voters in the state voted to approve moving towards sports betting. And that was the first major step. And Governor Christie pushed through legislation that wound up you know, setting the parameters of how this would, would then work. And at that point— So the, why didn't we start betting that day? He needed legislation to define because it wasn't set in by statute. So we, they were doing two steps. What first, does that mean? Speak English to me. Don't speak legislative to me. <laughs> Tell me, tell me why I can't bet after New Jersey passed a ballot question. Why am I not allowed to do that? The ballot question was to find out whether or not the public would be willing to authorize. So the this. public said yes. So the public said yes. So I still can't bet. Then the legislature needs to actually put a law and regulations in place. So they did that. So they went ahead and they did that. And I still can't bet. You still can't bet. Why not? Because not that I want to, by the, the way, if the my parents are listening, sports, my parents are listening, not that I want to. I'm just asking for general purpose. So the four major sports then sued New Jersey to block this from happening. And so they got an injunction. New Jersey went to court, lost in court on appeal. And so it looked like this was over. And fast forward in December, the Supreme Court of the United States heard uh, an oral argument from our, our then governor, Chris Christie, making the case for sports betting. And most legal experts expect the Supreme Court to rule in favor. And 20 states have joined in on the brief on this lawsuit. So we're not just talking about you know the idea that sports betting could come to New Jersey. And we're talking Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut. This is gonna this is gonna wind up changing the landscape. Sports so this betting, could legalize sports betting everywhere. Everywhere. Currently, you can legally sports bet in Vegas. You can do parlays and and different teasers in Delaware at the racetrack, which has helped their racing industry. But you can't actually go and place bets in some of these other states. And that's one of the reasons why the tracks have been a major place to uh, to have uh, you know, sports betting. It has really saved the horse racing industry in a number of areas because, you know, outside of the the big, you know, you know, you know, just strongholds in the horse racing industry like Maryland and Kentucky, you know, for the most part, that's an industry that has really kind of taken it on the chin over the last 20 years. So the Supreme Court, sometime between now and their end of session, June, July time, is going to rule on this case, which I believe you said is now Murphy versus the NCAA, which right. I still don't understand why the suit is against the NCAA. Clearly, Murphy's the new governor, so it's not Christie anymore, and it's literally the state of New Jersey versus the NCAA. If they decide that sports betting should be legal, can I go to Atlantic City or go to a casino here in, in the area and, and place a bet the next day? How, how is this going to proceed and happen what and the supreme court's going to lay out some very specific parameters which probably will require the state legislature to go back in and do some cleanup work to make sure that we have the regulations in place but that's the so open end question bet. so you still won't be able to bet but by opening day of this nfl season very likely you could be will i be able to bet online 
legally or will it just be going to a physical location? That's a question that the Supreme Court will give a directive on because it will it that will probably take legislation from from the uh, United States Congress um, because we will then be dealing with in many cases inter interstate commerce. The reason that I, I wanted to bring it up this week is uh, the four major sports players unions actually banded together with a joint statement saying that they want to have a seat at the table. And I wanted to read you some of their comments and kind of get a reaction. So given the pending Supreme Court decision regarding the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, the time has come to address not just who profits from sports gambling, but also the costs. Our unions have been discussing the potential impact of legalized gambling on players' privacy and publicity rights, the integrity of our games, and the volatility on our business. Betting on sports may become widely legal, but we cannot allow those who have lobbied the hardest for sports gambling to be the only ones controlling how it would be ushered into our businesses. The athletes must also have a seat at the table to ensure that players' rights and the integrity of our game are protected. So basically, they just want the money. Yeah, they want the money. <laughs> and you know what? I like, I read that whole thing, and it's like, I write press statements for a living. They want the money. Yeah. Shockingly, they want the money. Now, frankly, you know, I'm sure that someone will say it, and I haven't heard anyone say it yet, so I'll be the first one to say it. You know, and how about a portion of that money be dedicated to studying brain injuries? Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to talk about that with the NFL. Um, just, you know, just FYI. <laughs> but it, it does, you know, if you look at the way that, that traditional gambling works in states like in New Jersey, the money, while people win money gambling and the state gets revenues, a certain portion goes to fund programs for residents in their areas. So when the NFL and the players union talks about wanting their cut, there's a potential impact to states. You were telling me that New Jersey's proposed budget by the governor actually anticipated the legalization in the Supreme Court and counted a line item for how much in the budget? $60 million year one. So they anticipate that in the first year of legalized gambling, the state of New Jersey will see revenues of $60 million. Correct. What is the, what's the ultimate amount that they would, they would win? Like, do you, do you think there's a, when you look at projections, I'm asking this question poorly. When you look at projections, what's the anticipation when it's not year one, when it's ramped up to the concept of legalized sports betting that everybody's talking about. And this is the challenge I think that everyone's facing because in a world where you know you had very few places that uh, had legalized sports betting, you can make the comparison and say we could make dollar x because this is what, you know, what they're turning over in Vegas, what they're turning over in the state uh, or even in Delaware more recently in their more limited version. The challenge though that you face on this is that everyone's going to be getting in the game. So if everyone's getting in the game, the market gets diluted. It's kind of the same problems that Atlantic but isn't City. Isn't there more money in the market because people aren't betting illegally with bookies? They're betting now legally. So is there more money? I understand that there's more people taking money out of the system, but do you? It's it's sort of the, the conversation you get in when you talk about legalizing marijuana. Are you putting more money into the system to get more revenues, even as more money comes out of the system? Right. Theoretically, you are. The question is going to come down to if everyone's starting it at the same at the same time period, are you then going to see the influx to your state by because you're unique? And that's what been the argument. Like on the legalization of marijuana in Colorado, they they really profited much more than they actually anticipated in the beginning because people were traveling out. They were there, the only game in town, and that was it. Are people going to travel out to do that in New Jersey or Philadelphia, or are you going to capture? The local money you're more likely to capture the local which money. is why i asked you about if people could do it online 
Right. Because in New Jersey, you know, in Pennsylvania, you now have a lot of casinos sort of all over the, the place in, in terms of what you have in the Philly area with some of the casinos along the river. But in Jersey, as they did not pass it, there's only the casinos in South Jersey. So do you lose, do people go to the casinos in, in New Jersey or do they go someplace else to place those bets if you have to do it on site? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why they've looked at the casinos and the tracks, which, you know, limits the places that you could do it. And again, we'll try to attract you to support the local businesses there and other entertainment options while you're there. If they anticipate $60 million in New Jersey and the Supreme Court decides in July, how long is it going to take to make this work? As quickly as the legislature can um, you could get into session and address it, but I would think there would be, after having started the case, all the work that's been done over the you know last six, seven years in earnest, uh, I expect to see a special session of the legislature in the summer to address it. So you think that everybody's ready to move, that this is just... And it seems like, you know, with the way the unions and the sports leagues are reacting, that people think the writing's on the wall about this prohibition going away, it seems. Yeah, I mean, and most legal experts think this is game over. It's now a question is what's going to be the detail when it's all said and done. Does fantasy factor into that at all? doesn't look like it it's always been separated because fantasy has been separated because it is a the the idea of betting on the single game versus fantasy being the 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 collection has always been able to separate fantasy out and made it unique but on some levels this is a, a big win for the fantasy sports industry because when you really think about it they have been worried about the encroaching nature of classifying them as gambling when that may no longer be a real issue because now gambling wouldn't be a bad thing, according to law. It would be okay to do. Right, because they've been shut out of a number of states, and that would actually you know, really take away those restrictions uh, be, you know, because it would now be you know, wide open. We have about three and a half minutes left. Let's run back through some of the sports. We, we've kind of taken the gambling thing to its end. When, when there's obviously a decision, we'll see where it goes. Um, Major League Baseball, fun time of year with these teams. Are you, has there been anything that surprised you at the start of the season? I think it surprised me the most at the start of the season. I think this is the impact of the earlier start. I think you're you're seeing some you know erratic uh, you know stats uh, from some of your stars. I think it's just it makes you like wonder. Jane Carlos Stanton striking out a lot in New York for the Yankees. <laughs> that's a good that, that's a good one, but I'm actually very happy about that one. Well, you don't mind that, but. But it, it but, is early struggle. Look, there's a it's a question. We often play our most important games uh, in some of the worst weather conditions, and now we're playing earlier in in the season. And I think the question is, a season that starts in March and ends in November, should we be there? Hockey playoffs. I know that that's the one closest to your heart. On this show, we we talk about the impact of that sports has. Um, the Stanley Cup is my favorite sports trophy. I just think it's so cool. But the thing that I like the most about hockey is the handshakes after Game 7 or when the series ends. What are you looking forward to in this playoffs this year the most? Yep. And don't tell me the Devils winning because you're on a Philly sports station. Go Look, ahead and, and I'm also very realistic about the yes. Devils. Go, and go we're, ahead we're, and we're answer now. But it, you know, this is an opportunity. There's a number of teams that haven't won before. I look at Winnipeg. I look at Nashville out west. You know that are you know real opportunities. You look at Philly. It would be <laughs> it would be great to see um, someone new put their names on the cup as a franchise and end the uh, Penguins two year streak. Yeah, I just don't want to see the Penguins win. I'm tired of it. It's a that's a hate the face kind of thing. Like I just I see a penguin and it's 
not their fault. Just, look, look, looking at Toronto being back in the mix in a real way. I well, mean, that's big for the NHL in terms of their markets and, and really getting their ratings up. I mean, I, there still aren't enough eyeballs on hockey to make it what it needs to be. And that's a larger discussion than we can have at the end of a show. But And the challenge for hockey, when you really look at it, is that it's a good sport on television. It is the greatest sport in person. It is, a, and you have your, your season tickets. It is a very fun sport in person. Uh, and in person, NBA, uh, ratings have been huge this year. I think they're up like 16, 18%. Uh, attendance, I believe, has been up. For the Sixers, they're one of the hottest tickets for the playoff right now. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the NBA playoffs that start tomorrow? Yeah, I'm hoping to see the Sixers make a deep run because I think ultimately the, this is a team that even as someone who grew up a New York Knicks fan, I look at this. This is a fun team to watch. They're likable guys. I think it's going to be I think it's gonna be a great run. Uh, and then the question is, who can beat Le uh, LeBron? I mean, ultimately, it's still about LeBron and Curry when it's all said and done. You, Ric Flair used to say you got to to be the man. You got to beat the man. And LeBron is still the guy. And, you know, it's it would be great to see the Sixers get there again. I didn't anticipate this going into the season. I didn't see 52 wins. I didn't see a three seed being ahead of schedule. This is huge for the Sixers, because if you take a long term approach, let's say it's just the conference finals this year, get to the conference finals. And if you want to lose into LeBron. Well, you know what? Next year, you're probably going to be a favorite in the Eastern Conference. Well, and they, the way that it shake, shook out with the Lakers record, it looks like they may end up with the Lakers pick still and, and have the 10th pick uh, somewhere around there. So, you know, you could still you could go through all this, end up in the conference finals and then still have a good pick to add another asset to the team. And they have a lot of free agent money. So a little bit ahead of schedule. Going to be a lot of fun to watch. Cannot wait to see it all. Thank you for keeping Jeff's chair warm and making sure I didn't screw up too bad. Great being here. Really appreciate it. Brett, thanks for adding so much over there. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> sure thing, man. Wait, wait, way you. to be there to jump in and talk. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this week on The Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us next weekend as we help you go into the weekend and enjoy all the sports. Have a great one and stick with us. Bye-bye.